But it's going to be a great Sunday. And uh, speaking of greatness, that's, that's kind of where I'm going with this message. How many of you had a phenomenal 2018? Anybody had just a great year? How many of you are glad it's over and you're ready for 2019? <laughs> hey, we can be honest in church. I understand. Some of us have good years. Some of us have bad. But what I want to talk about today is what it means to be great, what it means to, to have a great marriage, what it means to have a great relationship with God, what it means to, to even like to think of it like as the sun sets on 2018 and we kind of peek over the horizon of, of 2019, I know if we're honest, all of us want to have a great year, right? Like how many of you, like how many of you make those New Year's resolutions, right? Anybody still keeping your New Year's resolution from January 2018? Yes, my girl right here. She's like, I did it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, one out of 200. That, that's my point. Because we all have aspirations and ambitions for greatness, and we all start the year like, woo! And then somewhere six months, eight months, some of us six hours into the year, it all flies out the window, right? And so what I want to talk about today is that very concept of greatness. Everybody say great. I like it. Woo! You guys look good today. You sound good. Turn to somebody next to you and tell them, you look good today. Tell them. Husbands, that's your cue. Yeah. Y'all want to make it awkward? Turn to somebody else. Tell them you look better than them. No, I'm just kidding. Don't do that. Husbands, that's not your cue. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 18. If you have your Bibles, open them up. And we're just going to read this passage. Mark this table. Our, our, can we give a hand for our volunteers here at this campus? They're so good. Some people come to church and we think like all this just happens. Like all the lights programming and the lyrics on the screens. Like these guys get here at like 6 a.m. and make all this happen. Some of you are like, 6 a.m., is Jesus awake then? Yes. And he makes amazing stuff happen. We're going to start in verse 1, Matthew chapter 18. If you're there, say yeah. All right. For the rest of you, it'll be on the screen. I'm so excited. I'm excited to be here, guys. I don't, it just hit me like when we were worshiping, like how good of a day today could be. I was talking with your greeter out there. I said, this is perfect church weather. You know what I mean? Church weather is dreary weather because when it's sunny, people, like I'm from South Florida, so people would be like, I'm going to the beach on a sunny day. Here it'd be like, I'm going to the lake, you know, if the weather's too nice. But if the weather's too rainy, people are like, oh, we can't drive to church. Let's go to a movie, which never makes sense. But if it's like right in between, that's good church weather. So I'm glad you guys came today. All right, here we go. Some of you are like, can you please just read the Bible? Yes. Verse 1, it reads, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest? Somebody say greatest. Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? He called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. I'm going to pray for us real quick, and then we're going to dive into that passage. Let's pray. Jesus, Dad and King, thank you so much for bringing us life today. Thank you for the oxygen we're taking in. We just give you all the credit for it. None of us can sustain our lives. None of us deserve to be breathing and living. And so we just consider it a gift today. It is a good day because we're alive. 
And we just declare that over whatever problems we had in 2018, whatever issues we were dealing with this week or even this morning, we declare that it's a good day and we're grateful, God. And right now as we're in your house and in your presence and we open up your word, we pray that you would change every single one of us. From the volunteers in the tech booth to me to everyone in these seats, God, that all of us would just shift our lives drastically as a result of your words this morning. If somebody's tired, God, I pray that you would be better than coffee this morning. You would wake them up. God, if somebody's weary, I pray that you would give them strength. If somebody's discouraged, I pray that you would give them peace. And again, God, I pray that it would all come from your glory. God, I pray that in this passage you would teach us how to be great. In your name we pray, and everybody that agree with that prayer loudly said. Awesome. I love it. My title for the message today is GOAT. GOAT. Everybody say GOAT. What kind of sound does a goat make? <laughs> I love that. Georgia, we know that one, right? Yeah, a, a, a goat. How many, how many of you, have you, has anyone ever looked at you and somebody said, you're the goat? Anybody ever, some of you women are you like, you better not say that to me, right? No, here, here, here's why I call it the goat. Because if somebody ever looks at you and says, you're the goat, that's actually the best compliment you could ever get. It's one of the best, I, I grew up playing a lot of sports, I know you can tell, and um, insensitive to chuckle at that, sir. Um, but in sports, if somebody calls you the GOAT, it's actually an acronym, and it stands for the greatest of all time. G-O-A-T, greatest of all time. And right here in Matthew chapter 18, the disciples were essentially asking, who the GOAT? Hey, Jesus, who is the GOAT, and how can we be that? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of God? And this was a question that the disciples were asking all the time. Like, it's a big kind of like fad in, in today's day and culture, especially amongst millennial culture, to be like, to seek after greatness. Like, I want to be great. Woo, right? Uh, why did I do that? That was weird. Like a plie for greatness. But we have this like desire, this innate desire in every human being. We seek after greatness. And, and that's been the case ever since the beginning of humanity, and the disciples were no different. And we know this because this was a repetition in their, in their questioning of Jesus. How do we be great? Hey, who's the greatest? What does greatness look like? Even the disciples' mama, like if y'all remember James and John, she came up to Jesus, and they said, she said, hey, Jesus, how can my sons be the greatest? She worded it like this. Who gets to sit on your right and left in heaven? In other words, can my boys be your, your boys? Can they be the greatest? Moms, how many of you feel her? You'd be like, yeah, I'd try and get my sons up there too, like move. But we were, they were always seeking after this question, who's the greatest? Can we be great? Am I the greatest? In Matthew chapter 18, we're just going to work verse by verse through this, and we're going to try and answer three questions. What is greatness? How can I or we be great? And finally, who's the goat? Who is the greatest? And so we're, we're just going to work through this. We're going to do an exegetical study, kind of like a Bible study to end the year, and really try and unlock that door of greatness as we look at 2019. So we're just going to start back in verse 1. If you're there, say, yeah. All right, good. You're still there. It reads, at that time, pause. So you're like, three words, really? That's how slow we're going to take this? Eh, we'll see. They said I have three hours to preach, so. <laughs> Some of you, that was funny. Some of you are like, no. At that time. When you read the Bible, ask questions. Young people, when you read the Bible, if you want to know what God's trying to say to you, just stop and ask every question you can think of. So when you start it and it says, at that time, what question should you ask? 
What time? Right? What, what time are they talking about? Scripture is confusing without context, but with context, there is clarity. And so at that time, all it was, Jesus and his disciples had just strolled up into Capernaum. Capernaum was a fishing town. And if you read just the chapter before this, an awesome fishing miracle just happened where Jesus told Peter to go to the lake and fish. And the first fish he pulled out to reach into his mouth and he would pull out money. Anybody ever been fishing before? How amazing would that be, right? Go up to Lake Lanier, cast it out, pull it in, $100 bill, right? Like that's the Jesus type of miracle. And so that just happened. They were in the Capernaum area. He had worked a bunch of miracles. He had just healed a demon-possessed man. And they're coming. And so the disciples see all these great things happening. And so with the context of seeing and witnessing greatness, they say at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Now, the first thing this points out to us, if we're asking it, the disciples would ask this all the time, all the time, all the time. They would kind of pester Jesus. Who's the greatest? Who's the, who's the greatest? And what it revealed in the disciples is kind of an ill motive. What it revealed in the disciples is this. This is the first key phrase I want to throw out there to maybe unlock some greatness in 2019. What it revealed in the disciples was a lack of self-awareness. Hey, Jesus, who's the greatest? Hey, Jesus, who's the greatest? Hey, Jesus, how can I be great? Hey, you ever think Jesus wanted to just be like, I'm the greatest. Leave me alone, right? And they're like, like just, just follow me. You'll figure it out. But they just kept asking, and it kind of revealed their selfish motives. And, and it all stemmed from this, this principle I just want to touch on real quick called self-awareness. Everybody say self and say awareness. Now, self-awareness, like, it, it's not like a real catchy phrase. But whoo, is it a clutch phrase? And, and more so, <laughs> I just had a, <laughs> I just saw a, a wife over here look at her husband and go, when I said self-awareness, so I'm not going to point you out. That was really funny, though. She went, but self-awareness will change your life in 2019. Now, there's the, the, there's the innate, like, principle there, self-awareness meaning to be aware of oneself, like I exist. Yay, I have self-awareness. But self-awareness means more than that. Self-awareness, just to put it like practically, means how other people perceive you. Self-awareness means how you really come across to other people. Now, and I think if we're all being honest with ourselves, we'd all probably go, I'm I'm pretty self-aware, right? Like, I think I know me. But if we're also honest, we probably have someone in our lives that goes, no, you're not. You're not self-aware at all. Or an area in our lives where we're not. Like, let me just give you a practical example of where I've blown this in my life because I blow it often. Um, My wife was telling me just this last week, she was like, you need self-awareness. And I said, lucky for me, I'm preaching on that. And so, like, back in my early ministry days, I started as as a young pastor at 22, and I was pastoring down in South America in Lima, Peru. And I'd just taken over this campus, and it had like 80 disgruntled Peruvians that were mad that this young gringo came to be their pastor. And, and by the grace of God, he worked a miracle, and there was a few hundred of us within a few months, and God was just doing these awesome things. Well, our, our parent church, the mother church, kind of sent the executive pastor down to check on things. And the executive pastor, who's one of my best friends and one of my mentors named Raul, Raul brought one of our biggest like givers and donors this guy that was a, a lawyer, he was actually a, a brain injury lawyer. And he was just a generous guy. When I say generous, I don't mean he tithed. 
Like tithing is not generosity. Tithing is baseline. He would like tithe off of a lot of his money, and then he would just give hundreds of thousands of dollars to the work of the kingdom. And he had funded a lot of the work we had done in Lima. And so Raul brought this guy named Frank down just to see what God was doing. And Frank was kind of a new Christian. He had only been saved following Jesus for maybe like a year. And so he comes down to see a lot of what the money is going to and what God's doing. We have a great weekend, and it all goes awesome. And then we sit down on Sunday night after a long Sunday, and we're sitting in the living room, and we're just talking about, you know, ministry and Jesus. And Frank is like a a CEO leadership mind, like very self-aware, just sharp, sharp guy. And he leans into me, and he goes, so, Corey, what do you want to do with the rest of your life? You know, I'm 22, so I have all the answers. And I said, <laughs> some of you know, uh, no. And I was like, well, you know, it would be awesome to, to continue serving God, maybe pastor a church one day, maybe in another country. You know, I don't know what God has for me. I'm excited to be here right now. We'll see where he takes us. Now, Frank came from the corporate mindset. So his mindset came out like this. He said, well, why would the pastors here keep pouring into you if you're just going to leave one day? Okay? Like those of us from the business world or, or even athletics sometimes, you come in that mindset. Like why would we invest in you if you're just going to leave? I had been following Jesus for a little while, and at that moment I was sitting back in my chair, and Frank's like in his late 40s, you know, big-time businessman, and I proceed to go from this nice relaxed position, and I lean forward in my chair and kind of look Frank eye to eye. And I said, well, Frank, you see in the kingdom of God, The way it works is it doesn't matter what church you're a part of as much as it does the capital C church, the kingdom church, the global church. And so these pastors are going to pour into me, not just to make an impact in this church, but to make an impact in the global church and see people reach for Jesus no matter the name. And I was just going and I was on fire. And I mean, I was just like bringing truth from scripture. And I mean, I probably talked for about 10 minutes straight. And when I finished, Raul was sitting right here. And the whole time I just watched his posture go like this. No. And Frank just sat there and looked at me. And when I finished, I'll never forget, he goes, thanks for the lecture, bro. And Raul was like, no, there goes all that money. Not really. And when he said that, I realized, and and, and this was my big moment, I I immediately pulled back and I go, oh, oh, Frank, I'm sorry, man. I didn't mean for it to come off, but I had lost him. I had completely lost him. And Raul said this to me later. He pulled me aside and he goes, Corey, you can be 100% right and still so wrong because of how you say it and when you say it. You can be 100% right, but if you're not self-aware enough to know that Frank was a new believer, he didn't need you to lecture him. He didn't even need you to correct him. He needed you to pastor him and gently lead him. You blew it, bro. And, and, and here's one of my favorite parts of that whole exchange. What brought more self-awareness in my life wasn't just me messing up. It was having a good enough relationship with somebody so they could call me out and speak truth into my life and call me up. Here's one of the biggest keys to greatness in 2019. Who is in your crew? Who is in your life? Do you have, do I have, do we have anyone in our lives like Jesus was for the disciples that would speak truth directly to us? Now, and and here's why I say this, because this is, I just want to get real practical with us today. Young people, I hope you hear this. Your parents will help you be more self-aware. Parents, your spouse will help you be more self-aware. But here's one thing I want to throw out. 
Fine. Again, spouses, stop looking at each other while I'm preaching, okay? It was on this side of the room this time. Here's, here's the key, though. Find someone older than you. Even if you're 70, <laughs> try to find someone 90. Uh, try and find someone in a season of life ahead of you that can see down into your season and that you respect enough to not defend yourself when they talk to you. Like, here, here's a great, like, self-awareness tool. I'm just going to give it to you. Even, like, as you're on the way home today, young people, look at your parents and go, how can I be a better son? How can I be a better daughter? Husbands, look at your wives and go, how can I be a better husband? Wives, look at your husbands and say, how can I be a better wife? And then here's the, here's the catch. You ready? Here's the whole trick. Some of you are like, we're not doing this. Just try it. Let them answer. Say nothing. And when they finish, say thank you. Mic drop moment right there. Some of you won't even know how to receive that. Like you're not going to defend yourself. You're not, just no matter what they say, just say thank you. And then go and think about it and apply it. And self, you, you, you know why it, it, it's so important? That is how we take steps forward in our walk with Christ. When we know how we come across to people, we can come across to them better. Paul says it like this, become all things to all people so that, so that we may win some. So even in this, as we grow in self-awareness, we are further able to be all things to all people. But it all comes back to do you have anybody in your life that actually has your back? That has your back enough to tell you the truth. And you know the number one thing that keeps us from having people that have our backs? Pride. Can everybody say pride? <laughs> I had one guy say it like he was proud. Like, pride, I appreciate you. Pride. Pride keeps people from having our backs. I mean, even practically in my life, this happened like two years ago. Y'all are going to laugh at my dumbness. Like, I was down in the Keys on a spiritual retreat with some other pastors, and we were out fishing. We were supposed to be out fishing all day. And so, fellas, maybe you can relate with me on this. I knew I was going to be in the sun all day, so I went to put on sunscreen. And I'm applying said sunscreen, and then all of a sudden I have to get my back. And I looked around, and there was nothing but older, bearded men. And I was like, I am not about to have some dude rub up all over my back. I don't, guys, come on, somebody give me a witness here. That's awkward, right? You don't have a guy like, mm, no. And so I was like, I, I can do it. I can get it myself. I have my own back. And so I proceeded to do one of these, you know, where you try and, you know, you do like this. And I was like, I felt like I had achieved having my own back. And so I went out into the sun bravely, courageously all day and enjoyed a great day fishing. We get back to the hotel and I sit back on a chair and I was like, ow, maybe I missed this spot. And then one of the other pastors came up and he could not stop laughing. And he was like, bro, why didn't you ask us for help? I said, what are you talking about? And he took a picture with his phone and he was like, look at your back. And it looked like this. <laughs> Suffice it to say, I couldn't cover my own back. Right? Now that's true. Like no filter. See my handprint where I tried? Like I had like the one handprint. Okay. As, as ridiculous as that looks, that's the way some of our... Our character looks. That's the way some of our lives look when we try to have our own back, when we try and come up with our own self-awareness and we don't ask others for help. So my, my first point today is just stop and ask yourself, who's got my back 
Because if I have the right people having my back, I can have a great 2019. Somebody say go. Say it. Say it like you mean it. One, two, three. There you go. I want you to have the greatest year of all time in 2019. And we're going to keep going. So he says, they said, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And this is so cool. Jesus called a little child, like many of the kids in here, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them. And he said, truly I tell you, unless you change, unless you change. Everybody read that word with me. Can, can we put it up there? Yeah. Truly I tell you, unless you Ooh, the second key to greatness in 2019 is you got to change. Some of you are like, thanks, man. Yay. Here's why I stop and point that out. Because, like, a lot of us have problems with that word, don't we? Like, change. I, have, how many of you have ever heard somebody say this? You're just trying to change me. Stop trying to change me. Again, I'll just be transparent. I've only been married three months, but my favorite part of marriage as a preacher is I can use all of our fights as sermon-like material. So remember that. Uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So, like, I, back in the I remember one of our worst fights, my, my wife, she goes, stop trying to change me. You just want to change me. And this was my response. You're right. I do. And I hope you want to change me, too. And then I played the spiritual card, which I've learned is not a good play in an argument. <laughs> but I go, I hope you're trying to make me more like Jesus. And I hope I'm trying to make you more like Jesus. We better be changing. And she left the room. <laughs> but, but my point is, that word change for some of us, it sounds like such a huge word, right? Like, stop trying to change. We, we, it feels like we're losing ourselves and losing our identity, which... Again, if you've been following Jesus for a long time, that really is a big part of the message of the cross. He literally says, come and lay your life down. Lay your identity down. Lay your preferences down. Lay your dreams and career aspirations down and pick up what he has for you. And let me tell you this, it's way better than what you put down. That's the great exchange there. But that word change, it, it bothers us. So, so I, I got to thinking, again, I told you I, I played sports growing up. And one of the sports that I played, um, which is obvious, I played a lot of basketball. And um, that is mean. Don't laugh. But I did. I was a point guard, played basketball. But I grew up watching basketball in, like, the golden era of basketball. And here's going to – this is going to let me know if you know basketball. Who is the GOAT, the greatest player of all time in basketball? On the count of three, I just want you to shout it out. Favorite player, greatest player. Ready? One, two, three. If you said LeBron James, Steph Curry, or anybody other than Michael Jordan, you may leave the church. <laughs> I'm just No, greatest player of all time is Michael Jordan. Until LeBron can take a picture like that with seven rings on, I don't want to hear it. And here's what I loved about Michael Jordan. He wasn't the tallest player. He wasn't the fastest player. He wasn't, like, he wasn't the best at anything. But what Michael Jordan was particularly skilled at is he had this ability to create space. He could create just enough space to pull back that jumper. He could create just enough space to get that awesome assist. He, he was a phenomenal artist at creating space where there was no space to be found. And he used this, this particular technique in basketball that I just want to educate some of you on if you've never played. Um, can I get that ball? 
Yeah, this helps. Thanks, Steve. Do I have any? Do I have anybody in the house? Any guys in the house that played basketball before? Anybody? Actually, can I just grab you two guys? Could y'all come up here on stage? Y'all are like, I don't know if it's your first time or not, but y'all come on up here. Come on. Uh, y'all give them a hand. They're awesome. Yeah. All right. What's your name, sir? Steve. This is Steve and Matt. Matt. Matt, are you security, Matt? Thank you. Keep an eye out on everybody. Yeah. Name one. All right. Have either one of you guys played basketball before? Y'all look like it. All right. Cool. Gosh, y'all are intimidating. <laughs> All right. So in basketball, there's this moment, and Jordan would often find himself in this moment. There's this moment when you're bringing the ball up the court where all of a sudden not just one defender comes at you, but two comes at you, and it's called a trap. Do y'all know what a trap is? Okay, so act like I'm the point guard real quick, and I want y'all to like put me in a hypothetical trap. So ready? The ball gets passed to me, and trap. Yeah, right? Okay, wait, turn this way, face out, like come right here. There you go. There you go. Yeah, just act like I'm trying to get that way. Perfect. So a trap is when the guys come up and they raise their hands nice and big and they literally trap you. And when this happens, what your instincts tell you in basketball is they tell you to protect the ball and kind of curl up in the fetal position and go down like this, right? Because you got to protect the ball, right? But what your instincts are telling you are wrong. And what Michael Jordan did better than anybody else was created space and he would, he would do this. He would change his direction, and by changing his direction, he would create space and change his environment. It was called a pivot. Everybody say pivot. pivot. And all pivot meant was he would just move a little bit like this. But here's what happens. Okay, ready? So you guys back up, back up. I'm going to tell you when to make the trap happen. Okay, ready? Ball's passed. Trap. Trap. Here comes the trap. Here's what Michael Jordan would do. He would grab the ball, and he would pivot, and he would push and create space, and all of a sudden, he would bust through, and there was space created, and it was like five on three. Okay, uh, no, I get it. No, not thank you for the four of you. Sympathy. But here's, <laughs> here's my point. Here's my point. Even for me in basketball, obviously I'm not the tallest guy, but this was one of my favorite things to do because I would use my disadvantage to my advantage. My disadvantage was my height and my shortness, but all of a sudden if I would just pivot and change my direction, my disadvantage became my advantage. So ready? Check this out. Often in life, God passes us the ball of purpose. God passes us the ball of marriage. God passes us the, the, the ball of a calling. And we take it and we go, okay, God, I see where you want me to go. I'm ready to go dunk it on the devil. Let's make this happen. But then all of a sudden the enemy sends a trap. Bring that trap. And what do we do in life? We go, no, I can't reach the goal that you wanted me to, God. And we turn and we cower and we say, this marriage isn't what I wanted. This job isn't what I wanted. This family is going crazy. But our instincts are wrong. God's word tells us that we are not to cower, but rather we are more than conquerors. We are to raise up. Now, keep that trap. The enemy doesn't relent. And all we have to do is do what God said in his word here is change, is pivot a little bit, look to where we're going, create some space, get around people we need, and then push through the enemy in our lives and continue towards the goal just by pivoting and changing. Uh, give these guys a hand. You're awesome. You can go off stage, y'all. You're too big. Seriously, that was awesome. They had no. All right, wife. Big, big challenge. Catch it. Nice. All right. Division one athlete right there. Now, here, here's my point. When he says you must change, Jesus literally said, if you don't change, you're not even going to be great. He said, if you don't change, you don't get into heaven. That's what he said. And we hear that word and we're like, change. The enemy is going to overwhelm you with some words. All it means in your life, find the areas you just need to pivot. Find the areas you just need to shift your perspective. You need to look back at the goal and keep your eyes focused on where God wants you to go. Somebody say pivot. And finally, 
Here's my favorite part, and here's where we'll end it. To have a goat type of year, the greatest year of all time in 2019. He says, truly I tell you, unless you change and become like what? Like little children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Unless you change and become like little children. Here's here's my point. Jesus calls a child to him. He says he called the child, and then he placed the child amongst the disciples. And then he says, unless you grown men change and become like this child, like a lot of the children in this room right here, you will never be great. And so you have to stop and ask the question, what about the child is great that's different from us in adulthood? What about the child was great that was different from the way the disciples were acting? And when I think about a child, there's so many things that come to mind, but the overwhelming thought that I think of is humility. I mean, think about, think about children, uh, children in here, no offense, but the younger you are, the less you can do for yourself, right? Some of your parents, you're like, yes, I feed them, I clothe them, I put a roof over that, right? When a child needs something, who do they go to? Mom and dad. When, it, when a child wants something, who do they go to? Mom and dad. When a child needs direction, who do they go to? Mom and dad. What he was saying is, you are at your greatest when you are fully dependent on your father. You are at your greatest in 2019 when you are fully dependent on your father in heaven. Your business will be at its greatest when you are fully dependent on God for it flourishing. Your marriage will be at its greatest when you are full, because full dependency on God means full humility in us. A lot of us, when we think humble, we think weak. But humility is not weakness. Humility is greatness fulfilled. This is why. Humility doesn't mean you bash yourself. Humility doesn't mean, oh, I'm not any good. I'm awful. I'm not a good person. No, that's insecurity. There's a big difference. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Humility just means I'm not thinking about Corey all day. I'm thinking about those around me and how to get them to Jesus. I'm thinking about God and his glory and how I get people to him. I'm thinking about, man, how can I serve? And the more the the day that passes through, and I'm not thinking about bringing pleasure or glory to myself, but rather to God and others, all of a sudden a great life starts to transpire. All because like a child, I'm dependent on God. But here's something literally just two nights ago as I was studying for this, it hit me. I thought, man, what was great about this child, and I wrote it like this, it, Jesus called the child, and then it said he placed the child among the disciples. And it never says the child moved. It never says that it, he called the child, the child came, he placed the child, the child stood. In other words, greatness is when God calls, obey. When God calls, obey, and where he places you, stay. When God calls you, obey. God, you want me to serve here at MLC? Cool, I'm down, I'm gone. God, God you, you want me to marry this woman? You want me to serve this woman? You want me to serve this man? He's calling you. Man, okay, God, I'm in this marriage. This is where you called me. Okay, God, I'm in this church. This is where you called me. I will stay where you call me. I will persevere. I will have character through the trials. I will stay and obey and like a child be fully dependent on you. And in doing so, I will step into greatness. Thank you, wife. I appreciate you. They all want, they were clapping on the inside. And we can, we can wrap this up here. You can make it sound spiritual with the keys. Um, 
You always know a preacher's about to finish when the keys come on, unless they're Pentecostal. That means you have another hour. <laughs> Some of you know that to be true. But as I thought of this passage, and I just thought of Jesus bringing a child to him and saying, look, 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 that's the goat. Greatest of all time right there, child. You want to be great, be like that. Be dependent on me. Be humble. Go where I say go. Come where I say to come to. Stay where I say to stay. Just obey me and be humble. Be willing to change and you will step into greatness. And I just thought about like some of the children I've gotten to interact with over the course of my life. Some of the amazing young people that the parents and the churches I've served at have raised. And one particular little girl came to mind. And um, I, I don't want to belabor the story, but there, there's this little girl named Cheyenne. And um, Cheyenne was just like a, a normal little girl, lived down in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, where I used to pastor. And she was awesome, you know, just fun, loving, kind. She loved to sing, um, loved to play and dance and shop. And uh, one day I got a, a, a call from my assistant in South Florida, and, and, and I didn't know Cheyenne at this time. And she said, hey, there's this little girl that wants you to baptize her. And at the church I came from, we baptized about 1,000 to 1,200 people a year. Like, it was just a big, big church. And, and, and so, like, we had probably 30, 40 different pastors that would baptize different people. So, like, for one person to say, I want this one pastor to baptize me, it was, like, a little strange, but okay. And I was like, hey, that's cool. If I can, I will. I don't want to schedule. And they're like, well, there's one particular day that she can be baptized. And I was like, okay, that's kind of weird. If I'm available, I'll come there. And then my assistant was like, you don't understand. This little girl who at this time was seven years old has been diagnosed with a brain tumor. And she had given her life to Christ after one of your sermons. And she says, you're, you know, her favorite pastor. And she just really wants Pastor Corey to baptize her. And I was like, whoa, um, okay, you know, I'll do it. I'll do it. When is it? She tells me the date, and on that day, I was actually preaching at a church all the way across town. And, I, like, I'll never forget how bad I felt, but I finished the message, and I go to go to my house, because we had a, a, a sermon that night or a service that night, and I get a phone call from one of our other guys on staff, and he goes, hey, there's this little girl here that says you're supposed to baptize her? And, and I was like, oh, no. And he was like, yeah, and there's like 30 or 40 of her family members here waiting for you to come back and baptize her. And I was like, oh, dude, I'm like 45 minutes away. I'm so sorry. I can't make it. Like, I know there's a lot of pastors there that can baptize her. Just please tell them I'm sorry, and you'll have a great time. And I kind of, and I just hung up the phone. And you ever, like, just feel awful? <laughs> like, I was just like, like the Holy Spirit just convicted me. And I was like, that was the wrong move, Corey. And so I just sat there in my Jeep, and I was like, Ah, and so I just picked up the phone, and I called him right back, and I was like, hey, man, dude, I'm sorry. It's going to take me like 45 minutes to get there, but if they'll wait, I'll come. And then I, and he goes, okay, hold on, and he, and he goes, and I, and I hear him mumble something, and then I hear a scream, like, ah, and like cheering. And then he gets back on the phone, and he goes, uh, I think they'll wait. And I was like, okay, I'm on my way, and I sped in the name of Jesus. Um, <laughs> it's okay if it's to baptize a little girl. And, and so... <laughs> I, I drive across town in South Florida, and I get to the church, and I literally sprint in, and I'm, like, taking my jacket off as I come in, and I throw on the baptism clothes, and I jump in. It's my first time meeting this little girl, and I feel awful because I almost canceled on her, and I delayed it and all this stuff, and I come up to little Cheyenne, and I meet her, and she's so precious, and she's so cute, and I'll never forget because, like, that week, you ever just have a bad week, like a rough week? Yeah, like, some of you are like, yes, <laughs> this week. 
I had not had a goat type of week. I'd had a really bad week. And, and I'll never forget this moment, this little girl going through brain cancer, like going through so much. She had lost some of her ability to talk. She had lost some of the mobility in her arm and her leg. And I'll never forget, I go up and, and I kind of talk to her about baptism. I talk to her about salvation. And, and she's just so sweet and so kind. I said, okay, Cheyenne, you ready to get baptized? She said, yeah. I said, okay, do you love Jesus? She said, with my whole heart. Let's do this. And I go to walk to the baptism pool. And I'll never forget, her little hand grabs mine. And she grabbed my hand, and she pulled me back to her. And I looked at her and I said, yes, Cheyenne. She says, you're a great pastor. And I know it sounds small. But you know how, like, the smallest encouraging word can change your entire outlook and perspective? Because I didn't feel like a great pastor that day. And all of a sudden, this little child going through so much, took it upon herself to encourage me. I was the pastor. I was supposed to be encouraging her. And all of a sudden, just, just out of the mouth of a child came exactly what I needed to hear. And I'll never forget, put, I was like, you know, I was like, I'm not crying, you're crying. It's the baptism water. Ah. And I go to the baptismal, and, you know, we baptize Cheyenne. And, and, the, and the story didn't end there. Like, this little girl's condition got worse worse and worse and, and, and every time I'd see her it was just kindness and encouragement she never wanted anything for herself I remember she completely lost the ability to talk and she had this little board with letters and numbers on it and I, I came in and I sat on the edge of her bed and I was just like hanging out with her and, and her mom and she goes and she started to spell something and she just wrote I love you and I was like oh Cheyenne I love you too and then she wrote Y O R, she couldn't quite spell right, but your, and she put P-E-R-C-F-T, you're perfect. And I remember I'm sitting there like, nope, you're perfect. You're amazing. And I just say that to say, like, when I think about having a great year, I think I want to be like Cheyenne. I want to be somebody that no matter what I'm going through, no matter how bad it feels, no matter how unfair the diagnosis is or the, you know, the job situation is, no matter what's going on in my life, I'm not thinking about me. I'm just going, hey, you're perfect. You're great. You're an amazing man. You're an awesome girl. Like, let's worship Jesus together. And, and Cheyenne, like, the amazing part of her story that I never got to tell before, she passed away. Her funeral was full of hundreds of people that celebrated this little girl's life. And she recorded a song. And the song literally said, smile, everything's going to be okay. And I just want to tell somebody here today that I don't know how 2018 was for you, but you can smile. Because if you know Jesus, everything's going to be okay. And it's as simple as this. The greatest year of your life is as simple as this. It's not about money. It's not about fame. It's not about friends. It is literally just about being fully dependent on Jesus. Where you go, I'll go. Where you call, I'm there. And where you say to stay, I'll stay, God. 2019 is all yours. And if we'll do that, it will be a goat type of year. Greatest year of all time. And can I just pray that over you guys in this in this message? Can I just pray that you'll have a great year? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you that you do care enough about us to, to tell us how to be great, to model greatness for us. And God, right now, I just pray over everyone in this room. I pray over all the kids. 
that this would be a great year for them, that they would be the goats of their, of their classroom, of their families, that it would just be awesome because they fully obey and fully trust you and they love their parents and they honor them and, and God, that it would just be a blessed year. I pray your favor upon them. God, I pray over the adults that you'd help us be like Cheyenne, that we wouldn't worry about what's going wrong, but we would know it's gonna be all right because of you, Jesus, that we would humbly be dependent on you. And God, even now, as we sing about your greatness, that we would just let that wash over us. It would wash over our relationships. It would wash over our families and finances. God, that you're great and it's gonna be okay. God, I pray that this would be a goat type of year. In your name we worship. Amen.